Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room Podcast. My name is Bill Finley. I am a correspondent with the Thoroughbred Daily News, and I'm the co-host of the Down the Stretch Radio Show on Sirius XM Radio. Hey, Bill. Zoe, I'm Randy Moss, NBC Sports. Lucy was ready for her star turn. Since I've got the uh, bookcase behind me and not her couch, I figured I'd give her a little uh, little FaceTime here, but uh, I'm ready to roll. She looks, she looks a little bit peed off there that she's not, you know, center and sprawling out on her love couch. She's so peed I, off that I lifted her off of her love couch and brought her over here. Yeah, that's what she's upset about. <laughs> this is her All being right, upset. I'm Zoe Cavan with First Racing and XB TV. And I like the new look. It looks like you're well lit there, Randy. You're almost glowing. Yes, I've got what do you call the little ring? The little ring light right here? Yeah. The magic ring? I'm prepared, Zoe. <laughs> well, Always. it's working for you, Randy. It's a good look. I want to remind you that this week and every week, brought by our good friends at Keeneland. Okay, so obviously the big story over the week and one of the races at Parks Racing. Uh, you guys aren't here on the Northeast, uh, the, the Mid-Atlantic states like I am. It was a nasty weekend. Uh, everybody canceled but Parks uh, up and down the East Coast. So I don't blame them one bit for running their big card that day. Topped by the Pennsylvania Derby, won by Saudi Crown. He won by a half-length. I think the race for people who liked him, the race turned out exactly on paper, on the racetrack like it looked on paper. He'd go to the lead, he'd control the pace, uh, he had the bit, he had the numbers to win the race. If he ran his race, he would probably win. He got a 105 buyer in there. Uh, Brad Cox, they asked him what's next. He's not sure. Thinking about uh, maybe the Breeders' Cup Classic, maybe the Breeders' Cup Mile, or maybe skipping the Breeders' Cup. I would think, why not go in the Breeders' Cup Classic? I don't know if he'll win or not, but certainly belongs with those kind of numbers, Randy. He's a good horse. Um, yeah. Is he uh, a superstar? No, but, you know, he's up there. Tell you what, Zoe, why don't you start off, and I'm going to put Lucy here back on her love couch. I'll be right back. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sandy Crown was definitely facilitated by a wet track, as was the winner of the Cotillion. Both front-running speed horses with very, very good off-track Form breeding, should I say. So Sandy Crown over Dreamlike over El Mericalo. I think the thing that was lost at the shuffle was how good Tap it was for the PA Derby. He was the broodmare sire of Saudi Crown, of Dreamlike, and of El Mericalo. So a massive day for Tap it on a day when it was a bit gray and a bit muddy. Saudi Crown owned by FMQ Stables, their lone horse here. In the U.S., uh, big Saudi-based Prin Prince Banda has a lot to do with him. In fact, he came and visited him in Saratoga this summer. So good to see that kind of ownership, trying to be bigger and better stateside. I'm sure they're going to buy a lot more horses and we're going to see an awful lot more from FMQ stables. But Saudi Khan, is he the best? He was the best on that day. He definitely was helped by a very good front-running ride. Florent Giroux is very oh-so-good at taking horses to the lead, nursing them along, and having just enough to last. Dreamlike, no real excuse there for him or for El Miracalo. Was it the best PA Derby we've ever seen? Probably not, but he definitely deserves a chance in the Classic. 
Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of points to be made here. I don't think it was necessarily a biased racetrack, but obviously that kind of a sloppy track is going to favor speed horses more than it does come from behinders. He set a legitimate pace in the race as opposed to his previous win in which he was allowed to kind of walk the dog, as they say, on the front end. And that 105 buyer speed figure fast, I don't think it necessarily does him justice looking at the running time. I thought it was a hell of a performance by Saudi Crown and maybe even given the conditions an even better performance by Dreamlike, who came from well back in the pack, beating just a half length, six lengths ahead of the rest of the field. Now, when you spin this forward, if they choose to go to the Breeders' Cup Classic with Saudi Crown, they're going to be confronted likely with a scenario in which they have Arabian Night to deal with from the Bob Baffert stable on the front end. Both horses confirmed one-dimensional front runners. Obviously, the presence of Arabian Night would not help Saudi Crown's chances in the race. That may be something that Brad Cox takes into consideration. And when you look at Dreamlike's possibilities of going on to the Breeders' Cup Classic, he ran a classic-level performance, I thought, in the Pennsylvania Derby. But Dreamlike is co-owned by Micropole and Vinnie Viola. They already have Forte and Bright Future pointed for the Breeders' Cup Classic, the same ownership group. So, you know, would they throw a three-year-old in there as one of three horses from the stable in the Classic, or would they just take their time and point for his four-year-old campaign? I think the latter, given that scenario, is probably a more realistic expectation. Zoe, Randy and I have thrown our two cents in there. We say go for it. Go in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, Do you agree? That's where he belongs? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't see why the top three shouldn't. And who cares about the ownership? Rapoli's got 500 horses. I mean, they're all going to run against each other at some point or another. Just go. The more, the merrier. I'm looking forward to a big Breeders' Cup Classic. And the thing that I think we forget about Saudi Crown is how lightly raced he is. His Jim Dandy was his first try around two turns. He got beat by a champion that day. This is only his second start around two turns. I think he's just getting better. Maybe he's one of those that hasn't quite peaked yet. Yes, he's going to be up on the engine and have a front-running style, but depending on the draw for the Breeders' Cup Classic, if he gets a a wide draw, there's no reason, I don't think, why he couldn't lay off the pace. All right, so we know he's not going... Well, I'm sorry, we don't know whether or not he's going to the Breeders' Cup or not. We do know with Ceiling Crusher, the winner of the cotillion, the race for three-year-old fillies, that it's unlikely that she will go. Uh, after winning this, uh, they have to put up 100000 She's a cowbred to supplement her, and trainer Doug O'Neill has been quoted saying that's probably not going to happen. Um, kind of a similar race to the, the Pennsylvania Derby. The uh, clear speed, I think, uh, pat on the back to me and Randy, I think we both uh, nailed this one last week. She would go to the front under Edwin Maldonado, the noted front-running rider. And, uh, you know, again, she got the job done over Pretty Mischievous, who never runs a bad race. Um, and she now moves on. Uh, I don't know where she's going to go from here. But this is a nice horse, Randy. Five for six lifetime. She's graduated from Calbred races, uh, has now won two graded stakes races in a row. And uh, I think she's got a bright future ahead of her. Yeah, she's a very nice horse. We can pat ourselves on the back for picking her. But the bottom line is we got lucky. We got lucky it was a sloppy racetrack. I don't think she beats Pretty Mischievous if the racetrack is fast, right? Uh, getting off to a comfortable lead in the slop, the, the, uh, the visual coming down the stretch of a clean-faced ceiling crusher 
and pretty mischievous, absolutely covered in mud, her entire front half, uh, and still pretty mischievous, makes a heck of a race out of it. Uh, good effort for both horses. I agree with Doug O'Neill not to press on and go for the Breeders' Cup distaff because the Breeders' Cup distaff is like a murderer's row right now. This is just the older horses. Don't count the three-year-olds. Right now, you're looking at Nest Clarier, Idiomatic, who beat both of those horses last time out, Secret Oath, Search Results, Adair Manor, maybe a Moray. I mean, those are tough, tough older horses to try to go against. Uh, maybe they'll give Pretty Mischievous a shot since she's so consistent, uh, but I'm not sure I would even do that if I was good off, and I might just wait for her four-year-old campaign. But a good effort. Zoe, Randy, I, I, want to inter- I want to interject something in here. Um, sure. I mean, speed on a sloppy racetrack is never a bad thing, but I mean, I went through the charts and as you mentioned earlier, I do not think there was a track bias. So right. um, that's my opinion. So I don't think with Ceiling Crusher or Saudi Crown, if anybody's out there saying, oh, they just speed horses in the slop, that's why they won. Um, yeah, I'm not, not saying that's what you said, but I, I think that would be uh, underplaying their accomplishment. Right. Well, what I said was, and, I, and I'll stand by it, I don't think right. Ceiling Crusher would have beaten Pretty Mischievous on a fast track. I thought the slop helped her just enough to be Pretty Mischievous, but I agree. I do not think it was a biased racetrack in the classic handicapping sense. And I, I'm with you on that stance, but it's so much harder for horses to close when they've got mud clods splattering them in the face. They've got water coming back at them. It's a lot harder for horses to close into that than it is on a fast track. Ceiling Crusher is by Mr. Big, his first grade one winner out of a Dynaform Aware. So his first grade one winner, I think we missed saying always dreaming with Saudi Crown, was his very first not only grade one winner, but also his first graded stakes winner. So they have to be extremely happy with that. Ceiling Crusher got a brilliant ride by Edwin Maldonado. She's not nominated to the Breeders' Cup. Why people don't pay the $400 as a foal, I think it's $400, just to nominate them right off the bat, I've got no idea. It's just beyond me because right now it costs an absolute fortune. So Doug O'Neill said it's her Breeders' Cup. That was her Breeders' Cup on Saturday. And uh, she, she won it, and they should celebrate that. One more thing that I would like to say uh, about the cotillion. Congratulations to Jessica Paquette for becoming the first female in the history of the sport to call a grade one race. And the people giving this poor woman a hard time on social media and everything, get a freaking life, would you? Come on, man. She's, a, she's doing a great job and she really deserves credit for what she's accomplished there. And she called the two races on the undercard also that I was going to bring up. Uh, okay. The Parks Dirt Mile and the Turf Monster. We talked about it last week. Gunite had an absolutely perfect trip in the Parks Dirt Mile. Uh, sitting second, clean-faced all the way around behind an 18-to-1 shot. And on the topic of there not being a, a classic track bias despite the slop, Nimitz Class runs him down from behind. A very honest, hard-knocking horse who also is not nominated to the Breeders' Cup. They would have to pay a $100,000 supplemental fee or nomination fee to run Nimitz class in the dirt mile at Santa Anita. No word yet as to whether that would be a plan or not, but I think Gunite was exposed a little bit. I don't know what they're going to do with him now. He doesn't seem to really want to go the two turns. I'm not necessarily sure he even wants to go the mile. And in the Turf Monster, we'll talk about the winner a little later. It's very unfortunate, but the heavy favorite roses for Deborah. Finished third, 
I think you can just completely draw a line through that race. I understand why they wanted to go ahead and run the race on grass, but with the bog and all the rain that you were talking about, Bill, it was a bottomless turf course. Those were top-level sprinters. They went five-eighths of a mile in 101. $5,000 claiming horses can run five-eighths of a mile in 101 or faster. So I don't think she handled the course at all. And hopefully, I hope, Chris Clement uh, and Miguel go ahead and push on and give her another chance against the boys at Santa Anita in the turf sprint. The other story, another big race on the day was the Greenwood Cup. We're going to uh, be joined later in the Green Group segment, the Green Group Guest of the Week segment by Doug Cowens. That's where I'm going to uh, get picked on by Zoe and Randy for saying that the horse should run in the uh, Breeders' Cup Classic. But what an amazing performance, 25 lengths. Uh, so we'll talk more about that a little bit later on the show. But I wanted to bring up another thing. Um, Paco Lopez always manages to you know, be in the headlines for the wrong reasons. And Zoe, as, as a former jockey, did you, I mean, you can only see it in the replay, maybe the last second or so of the race, but while the, the winner is out there winning by 25 lengths, he's on riding with Biden, who was the clear second choice, the chalk exacta. He's got second all wrapped up and he pulls the horse up about five strides before the wire. Um, you know, boy, did the betters who had that exacta or, or the owners who, who uh, you know, lost out on the second place money versus third place money. It, it, jockeys just can't do this. And, and Paco, come on, you got to do better than that. What we haven't, now this is on Tuesday when we're recording this, no word yet. Uh, out of the park stewards, but I, I hope they are, go pretty tough on Mr. Paco Lopez here and, and give him a pretty uh, healthy suspension. That that was just unconscionable what he did. Well, to Paco's credit, he did ride that horse down the lane and he he reached back and smacked him a good few times. And I think he thought, which is silly, that he had it wrapped up. So he wrapped up and he got napped. I mean, it's just one of those things. He did ride that horse to where he thought he was clear and coasted in. It was a a sloppy, wet day. No one wants to see a horse beaten up on. He should have checked around a little bit more and just guaranteed, and perhaps he should pay the owner. I don't know. 19000 is an awful lot of money to a normal person, should I say, and that was the difference between second and third. That's a lot of money. Well, and, yeah, and there's a whole lot of money in, uh, that, that, that the betters put through the windows exactly. that, uh, that they were victimized by, you know? But to play in Paco's defense, he may have never been in a race in his life where he finished second and he was 25 lengths behind. So <laughs> he was probably wrapping up a little bit on the horse, thinking he had second already, already, you know, exactly. already yeah, it was just a mental mistake. But I do think, Bill, I agree. He's got to get at least a week's suspension. Oh, I maybe more a, than that. OK. All right. But but the stewards can't just give him a, like a fine no. and a free. Now, Zoe Cadman and his job, she wouldn't have made that mistake. I saw her. She always rode hard to the wire. So um, maybe um, I've been told that um, Paco uh, will never ride that horse again. Uh, the owners, for obvious reasons, are not happy. But I'm still trying to find out more information about what the park stewards do. But I, I'm with you, Randy. If it comes out with a $500 fine, uh, that's not going to be good. Do want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Well, I'm home, which means only one thing. The Keeneland September sale is in the books. And what a sale it was. The 12-day auction produced results largely in line with 2022's record-setting renewal. Gross sales reached just under $400 million. The average was up over last year, and they sold 30 horses, 30 individual horses, 
for $1 million or more. Approved supplements to book one for the Keeneland November breeding stock sale held this year from November the 8th through the 16th are still being accepted. And the print catalog deadline for entries for the Keeneland November Horses of Racing Age sale, this is a standalone sale, held the Friday after the November sale, are due on Monday, October the 2nd. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. At Keeneland, a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, that speak. Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. The Retired Racehorse Project's Thoroughbred Makeover presented by the TCA takes place at the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington from October the 11th through the 14th. Horses will compete in one or two of 10 riding sports with preliminary competition taking place on October the 11th and the 12th. Top five in each sport will come back for a finale championship on Saturday which will also be live streams. No ticket is required. The event is free for all. Do take a look at the entry list and see your former racehorse or former broodmare. This is a new division at the rrp.org slash entries. I'm really looking forward to that, Bill. Yes, and we're also looking forward to Santa Anita opening on Friday for the fall meet, which concludes with the Breeders' Cup running of uh, the Breeders' Cup, the Breeders' Cup running of the Breeders' Cup uh, duh, 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 uh, at the end, at, towards the end of the meet. Zoe, uh, good to see Santa Anita back. The Breeders' Cup firmly on the horizon. I thought I should catch up with General Manager Nate Newby right here at Santa Anita to find out what's going on. Nate, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm looking forward to Friday and opening day. Uh, you know, autumn meet is always fun, especially on a Breeders' Cup meet, uh, year because, you know, it's six weeks. We start off with the first two weekends just packed with stakes and then uh, right into Breeders' Cup pretty quickly. So it'll be a fun meet. Uh, we won't be bored, that's for sure. It looks like things are shaping up for Breeders' Cup already because I can see you've got half the grandstand out there on the apron already. Yeah, a lot of the temporary build is done. We try and do as much as we can in the summer and the off season. Uh, we've got a few more things to do, but we'll be ready to go. What new wages can we expect? Is there a new one that's an old one coming back? One of my faves? Yeah, I'm a big fan of it too. The traditional pick six is coming back with a $1 minimum. So it's a little bit different, but kind of gives, uh, it finds that happy medium, I think, for the larger bankroll players and the poor players. Play it for a buck. It's a little bit cheaper, but I still think we'll get some carryovers and... Uh, and the traditional format's definitely popular. So we're excited about that. And then we got another new bet, the uh, all-turf pick three, focus on the turf racing out here in California. I think we have the best year-round turf racing in the country at Santa Anita. So we're going to highlight that and uh, do a $3 pick three on the last three uh, turf races every day. What else can we expect from Santa Anita other than great weather and great racing? Well, we've been working on the facility all summer, so it looks fantastic. We're ready to show it off to the world. Um, if you're in the paddock uh, starting opening weekend, we've got two new, brand new video screens in the paddock, the big board. So those have been replaced. They look great and uh, we're excited. Plus some other amenities around the track. Uh, you know, the, we've got a, an 88-year-old building, so we had to put some uh, work into it this summer and, and have it ready to show off to the world in November. 
Thanks so much, Nate. We're looking forward to it. Thank you, Zoe. So let's go now to Mountaineer Park, where there was uh, T.D. Thornton, my colleague at the Thoroughbred Daily News, did some good reporting on a, a story that came out of there. And it, it really struck a nerve with a lot of TDN readers. You can tell by the feedback it got and the number of hits it got uh, on the Internet. A jockey by the name of Jose Leon was fined $100 for apparently he's, he said he's, he's denied it. But but apparently uh, they have pretty concrete evidence that during a workout, a horse was acting up and he smacked it across the face with the whip. And the story is not so much that he apparently did this. Uh, I mean, look, it's not right, but it's not the first time something like that has ever happened. The story which T.D. Thornton hit upon was that the Mountaineer stewards fined him only $100 for this. And we were just talking about the appropriate uh, penalty for Paco Lopez uh, for his ride in the Green Club. I mean, this is a totally different situation. But um, Zoe, you take this because, again, you know, your jockey's perspective Clearly, a lot of TDN people um, and a lot of people out there were upset that a jockey could do something like this. And that was the fine. That was the penalty. A hundred dollars. First of all, you got to put it into context. And thanks for doing that in your piece with the trainer, Justin Jensen, actually speaking up. Now, from what I could find out, Justin's a former jockey. He's a trainer. He just started training last year. So you know, he doesn't really want to burn any bridges or really make anyone completely mad and upset at him, but good for him for standing up for this situation. Now, I understand what happened. The horse is working. He bolted. He blew the turn. The jock may have tapped him across the face just to try and straighten him up. That's fine. I am okay with that. But apparently this jock has a little bit of a temper. He jumped off the horse and two people, Justin himself and also the outrider, saw him strike this horse smack square across the face. And there is absolutely no excuse. It's chicken shit. You can't do it when you're on the horse. You've got to get off, hold the horse and smack him. You're an absolute chicken shit. And they should throw the book at him. That's pretty much how I feel about it. I have... No sympathy for him whatsoever. That is an absolute chicken SH1T move. Randy? Topping that. <laughs> oh, hey, hey I've, I, I second that emotion, Zoe, definitely. So I'm going to uh, bring another facet into this discussion. And um, it, it, it didn't go unnoticed by me that uh, West Virginia is one of maybe two or three states where Heiza is not overseeing racing, all the lawsuits that have come up. Now, I, I'm not really sure exactly what Heise's role might have been in something like this, but one of the reasons Heise was created was to make sure things like this, I think, don't happen and that the penalties meet, the, the punishment meets the crime. And I was Googling around, and, and this is kind of ironic. This is what um, the West Virginia Racing Commission Chairman, Ken Lowe Jr., told the uh, TDN uh, a while back, I think last fall, about um, Heise. Uh, he said, it's a federal statute crafted by elitists within the racing industry whose interests aren't aligned with the realities of small circuit racing in West Virginia. No, Mr. Lowe, it's not. It's something, whether you like it or not, that is intended to make this a better sport and to make the rules better for racing. So I don't know if you guys want to comment on that or not, but I just thought it was ironic that something like this happens in a non-Heisa state. Well, if you're going to uh, if you're going to badmouth Heisa and say that it's for elitists by elitists, 
and that your rules in West Virginia are just fine and you don't need HISA. And then you turn around and find this guy a measly $100 for beating a racehorse. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much undermining your own argument, I think, at that point. Another story out of Parks on Saturday, and this is a tough one. Um, Nobody Listens won the Turf Monster Stakes. Uh, Randy talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, an Indiana bred that was a $40,000 OBS purchase, winning his first career-graded stakes race. And it was, a you know, these were obviously... Uh, connections from a smaller circuit and, um, you know, don't normally play at this level. A a feel-good moment took a 180-degree reversal the next day when co-owner Matt Kwiatkowski posted to his Facebook account that the horse died. All things, uh, a freakish trailer accident. Something happened. uh, Dave Grenning of the Racing Forum reported that uh, the horse was spooked by a a noise from a truck and, and somehow fell and sliced an artery. Or something like that. I, I mean, I, I don't know much what else much to say about this other than, you know, a uh, tragic story. And, and, you know, my heart goes out to these people. Matt posted on his a Facebook account, we love and cherish every moment we shared with him. Um, you know, obviously they love this horse to death and uh, just a sad, sad story. Yeah. The owner said they didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. They were so, uh, they were so upset by it. And as part of the freakish nature of what happened, uh, I, I don't remember exactly whether it was the trainer or who was actually driving uh, the trailer, but uh, there was a loud noise and and they could tell they could tell that there was something going on in the back end of the trailer. But I, I mean, coincidentally, unfortunately, they apparently were driving through a construction zone and there was no way to quickly pull the trailer off the side of the road and jump out and get back and back and see what was going on. And by the time they could, Uh, it was too late. So it's just really unfortunate. Just, I mean, the worst. Horrific, basically. I I can't even think about it. Trailer fires, trailer accidents, these things happen more often than you would imagine. If you think of everything horses go through, it's just horrific. Well, no surprise, Turf Paradise track in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, they announced uh, last week that they're not going to reopen for this year. And another one bites the dust, Um, a small racetrack, albeit in a big market. And, uh, you know, this is a bad story for horse racing because we're losing so many racetracks here. Um, In some respects, you know, this is understandable. And one of the things I wrote in the TDN is, you know, I don't know how any racetrack uh, out there outside of Santa Anita and Del Mar, which gets huge handle, possibly makes it without slot machines anymore. And you're trying to run a small racetrack. You have no, uh, no revenue source from there, but, um, you know, a, a bad story for horse racing. Um, they're talking about maybe uh, being able to race at Arizona Downs. I'll start with you, Randy. I think we talked about this before, and I'm going to go back to something, uh, you talked about, you said you went there several years ago and even several years ago, place was a disaster. You described it as just crumbling to the ground. They were just doing nothing to take care of the place. Yeah, it was horrible. It was absolutely awful. And I'd heard nothing but great things about Turf Paradise. But, you know, the track has been beset by so many controversies. Uh, The owners were two brothers, Jerry and Ron Sims, who wound up going at each other tooth and nail legally. Uh, Accusations flying back and forth. The Arizona Racing Commission Uh, had its own issues with favoritism and things like that. There were so many things going on at Turf Paradise, apart from what was happening on the racetrack. And the one brother, Ron Sims, accused Jerry Sims of siphoning money that was supposed to be used for the racetrack 
to his legal fees. Now, whether that's legitimate or not, I have no idea. But I can tell you that having been there, there wasn't any money going into the facility at all. And I was when my wife and I were there for 30 minutes and just turned around and left. Um, I mean, Turf Paradise is obviously not big enough uh, to crack the uh, the trifecta of closed racetracks, Hollywood Park, Hialeah and Arlington Park. Uh, but, you know, I just made a list of all these racetracks. I, I've got a on the bookshelf back here. I've got a 1969 American Racing Manual. And I thought, you know, I just go back. I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of names of racetracks that were running back then that aren't anymore. And it was amazing. So many little minor racetracks, but also, you know, some decent racetracks that we don't think about much anymore. Your Axar bins in Atlantic Cities, Garden State, Liberty Bell, Rockingham, Suffolk, Bowie, DRC, Hazel Park, Sportsman's Park, uh, Golden Gate, soon to be, Bay Meadows. So uh, you just had paradise to the list. Well, what's that? And Calder. Calder, a.k.a. Gulfstream Park West. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a shame. Um, and in the news, in fact, just yesterday, Jeff Metz, a trainer out here, not only in Phoenix, Emerald, and also has a, a small string here at Santa Anita. He's going to hang up his shingle and he's going to become a stallman here at Santa Anita because with the closure of Golden Gate imminent and the closure of Turf Paradise, you know, Golden Gate and Turf Paradise do a, an awful lot of business together. He's, he's going to be out. His small stable just can't support him here in Southern California. So he'll be the new stallman at Santa Anita, which is good because he's a face that everybody knows and he's entrenched in the business. So it'll be good for Santa Anita to have him there taking over from Bobby Troja. But it's just another trainer leaving the game. His daughter Zoe's going to take over. So good luck to her. But, you know, with... With tracks closing, horsemen are hanging up their shingles. When by this time next year, we likely will not have Golden Gate or Turf Paradise, which will leave the Southern California circuit out on an island. One thing about those two tracks is they were the place you would go with horses if you couldn't make it in Southern California. Now, what are they? What are people going to do <laughs> with those horses that just aren't up to par for Santa Anita and Del Mar? And I mean, and. Push for a four-day racing week here. So, I mean, you could have those horses run on a Thursday, I'm, I'm guessing. I mean, that's what we're hoping for at Santa Anita is to get back to four days. Yeah, and one of the reasons why four days is necessary is because there is a horse population crisis in Southern California. I mean, they're doing pretty well with wagering numbers, but I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I don't know how, know how much longer that level is sustainable. I mean, that's one of the reasons why they thought there might be a silver lining with the closing of Golden Gate. You remember, guys, way back at the first of the year, uh, we had Lou Sella come on as a guest, Oakland Park. And Lou made a comment then that kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit. And I thought, eh, maybe that's a little bit extreme. But Lou said, I believe he used 10 years. It may, may have been even five years. But I think he said that he said, mark my words, within 10 years, there will not be a racetrack existing in America that doesn't have some sort of revenue from alternative gaming. Yeah. He may be right. Randy, I think you're right. That might, might be five years. I mean, I'm, I'm there's uh, who's even left at this, uh, at this point with uh turf paradise getting ready to close. So, uh, boy, the game has changed. And sometimes, uh, when it comes to, uh, the, the dependence on slot machines and casino revenue, not necessarily for the better. 
The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. We've talked about the big day Saturday at Parks, Pennsylvania Derby, Cotillion. Don't forget, because we've talked about it a lot. It were also the two races for Pennsylvania sired, Pennsylvania bred, two-year-olds, the two stakes races. Both $150,000. The Prince Lucky went to Even Money Favorite Notice of Action. The Implies Stakes went to Aoife's Magic, four to five favorite, daughter of Smarty Jones. But there was also another big Pennsylvania bred that won last weekend. We talked about Nimitz Class, right? Catching Gunite to win the Parks Dirt Mile. Nimitz Class also bred in the state of Pennsylvania by Arrowwood Farm. To learn more about owning and breeding in Pennsylvania, email info at pabred.com. The PA Horse Breeders Association presents the Pennsylvania Stallion Series. Six races for PA sire, PA bred two-year-olds at parks. Two $100,000 contests at five and a half furlongs. On August 21st, PA Day at the Races. September 23rd, PA Derby Day has two races at six and a half furlongs, both with a $150,000 purse. And in December, two races going long, each worth $200,000. For more, go to pabred.com. The TD and Riders Room, also brought to you by the Fast Sires at Windstar Farm, the weekly sponsor of our Fastest Horse of the Week segment. And how about this for a little dovetail? The Fastest Horse of the Week is by a stallion that stands at Windstar Farm. The Fastest Horse of the Week, of course, was the Pennsylvania Derby winner, Saudi Crown, who ran a 105 buyer speed figure. Well, Saudi Crown happens to be a son of Always Dreaming, the Kentucky Derby winner. The winner of the Florida Derby also ran the fastest time in the Florida Derby, 147.47 since Aladar had won it in 1978 and just three quarters of a second off Arrowgate's track record. So Saudi Crown, the fastest horse of the week, 105, sired by Always Dreaming, who stands at Windstar Farm. The TD and Writers Room is brought to you by the Green Group, tax accounting and advisoring company specializing in the thoroughbred industry. For more information, go to www.greenco.com. Tell Lynn Green we said hello. And welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week. It's trainer Doug Cowens, and he trains next, the winner of the Greenwood Cup at Philadelphia Park slash Parks over the weekend. For my money, one of the most interesting horses in the game, one by 25 lengths. And Doug, um, a lot of people were asking you and your owner afterwards, any chance you would be uh, motivated to go from this race into the Breeders' Cup Classic, try the big boys in the division? You've been adamant saying the answer is no. Why is that? Well, the answer for me is no, because, uh, you know, one, I put a, together a five race uh, plan for the horse at the beginning of the year or at the end of last year after he won the Thoroughbred Care Alliance. Um, the reason that we chose to start running him in these uh, marathon races is the fact that he loves the pace scenario, uh, the tempo of the race. So for me to switch him, uh, shorten him down to a mile and a quarter, where the pace scenario is going to be much faster, um, I'm, I'm taking away exactly what the horse likes and um, – it's just just not what I'm looking for right now. See Randy nodding his head. Yeah, let me let me that's every one of my notes here. Let me let me cross all these points off that I was gonna make about the same exactly what I think. So you had two big wins on Saturday and they couldn't have come more differently. First of all, your horse 
wins by 25 lengths. You can't imagine any scenario where something can be so one-sided. And then that night, your Ohio State Buckeyes managed to pull off an unbelievable <laughs> win at the last possible second in their game, obviously, against Notre Dame. So congratulations on both counts. I'm going to take you back to August of 2022 at Keeneland when you put in a claim slip for this horse. What were you thinking at that time, and how has the horse surprised you since then, if he has? Uh, well, at that time, uh, let's go back to the uh, winter at Turfway Park. The horse made a couple appearances there at Turfway Park in the winter where I'm stabled, um, watched the horse go in both races, he exited two races that were extremely tough. Um, a lot of horses came out of those races and won some stakes. Um, at that point, I seen him in at Keeneland for a tag, talked to Mike Foster and said, I really think you should take a shot on this horse. Um, I had no intentions of running the horse in marathon races at that point. That was not the plan. Uh, that came later on. Um, but, you know, Mike was all for claiming the horse, so – we took a shot and the rest is history. Wow, what a shot you did take. But I think a lot of people have forgotten that this horse is a very good two-year-old. I mean, he won allowance race by 11 plus lengths. He ran in essential qualities, Breeders' Cup Juvenile. It's not like you were just clunking down 62.50 for an old beat-up claimer. This horse was cut out to be a very, very good horse. Is that something that you like to look at, look at a bit of back class moving forward when you go into reach for a claim? Well, yeah, absolutely. And uh, specifically with that horse, he all the races that he had exited before he went into the claiming race uh, were very tough races, including the ones you're talking about as a two-year-old. And um, I think they knew that the horse had a lot of talent, um, you know, and just, just, you know, I think they probably took a shot that day. You know, Wesley likes to win at Keeneland, and uh, I think he just took a shot with the horse that day. One other thing before Bill jumps in, I want to commend you for not listening to Bill and sticking to your guns and not running this horse in the classic. Hey, you guys promised last week. You promised last week you'd be nice to me. <laughs> you know your horse and know exactly where he fits, and it's not often a plan comes together. I mean. When is it that, I mean, it's not over yet. Let's let's not put the cart before the horse. But you planned five races. You're looking towards number five. That's a hard thing to accomplish. Oh, I know. And uh, I keep reminding the owner and the whole team around the horse that you really have to enjoy the horse because there are a significant amount of times that you put a plan together and the plan never comes together. It doesn't work. And, you know, everything is found into falling into place with things and uh you know and the horses actually stayed healthy which is hard to do and you know we just keep crossing our fingers every day that you know we can make one more race and one more day with him because he's uh been quite fun very cool sorry bill i'm i'm okay. So, uh, so you tell me it was Bill's idea for me to run in the absolutely yeah, yes, Bill <laughs> as charged. Well, let me just say my piece here, Doug. And look, you're you're the trainer. I respect you. you've done a great job with this horse, and I'm not second guessing you or anything. But I kind of think, what do you have to lose? Uh, I mean, if you lose the race, you go back to Plan A next year. If you win or run second or third, my goodness, I mean, the money, the doors it opens up. I mean, maybe I'm just getting carried away because I'm such a fan of the horse. 
Well, I don't want to put any ideas in your head, Bill, but uh, if I was to take a shot in any of the Breeders' Cup races, it would probably be the mile-and-a-half turf race because okay. the horse really likes the distance, and he's shown he likes the turf, too. I've never – I think the horse will run on either surface. He's just put me in a position not to take him off the dirt at this point, but if the opportunity arose or I was going to take a shot, it would be in the mile-and-a-half turf. So, Doug, this horse has uh, has understandably given you more media attention than you've ever had before. But you're not you're not just a flash in the pan. I mean, you've been around for a while. You've won at least a couple dozen stakes races in your career, most of them on the Ohio circuit. What has this horse meant to you and owner Michael Foster? Um, well, you know, Mike's have been a long time client of mine, probably 15 or 20 years. Um, we've won other stakes before, but nothing like this, um, you know, and it's been fun and we just keep reminding each other every day that, uh, you know, just ride the wave because the horse is fun and hope he stays healthy. Cause you know, we all know in this game, how those things can come to an end real fast. It's been quite a ride. Tell me a little bit about your jockey, Luan Machado. And he got quite emotional. I remember watching him after his win at Saratoga. How was that winning at Saratoga? And how was it for you? What kind of a guy is he? Uh, well, Luan is a guy that's been with me for a long time. Uh, he breezes a lot of horses a couple times a week for me. Um, gives me a lot of input. Um He's a really underrated rider, but I think you're going to see him take off here at, at at Keeneland and Churchill now that, you know, he's got a little success. Even even Saturday, he flew back from Philly, uh, made the made a later race at Churchill and won a $140,000 allowance race. Um, but me and him are very close, um, and he gives me a lot of feedback, and we get together, and, you know, he really gets along with this horse because he's got great hands and a good clock in his head, and you know, the horse doesn't have to be in front. He can be anywhere in the race just as long as he gets in his rhythm. Uh, and Luan sets a good pace for the horse. Um, you know, he seemed to be lucky enough to do that every time, too. Uh, Doug, as Randy mentioned, you've flown a little bit under the radar, but nonetheless, you have a very good record. You're winning about 23, 24% on the year. Uh, just tell us, you know, what has been your secret to success and, um, you know, how you've been very consistent having a great year. What, what's it? Uh, what's it all been behind all that? Well, I think the secret to my success is the relationships that I've built with, uh, you know, the clients. Um, most of my clients are, are longtime clients. Most of my employees are longtime employees of mine. I mean, most of them, almost every one of them's worked there uh, 15 to 25 years. Um, you know, those are the secrets to, to making this work. And everybody has an input. You know, it's not just me going in there in the morning saying this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. You know, I'm bouncing things off these guys all the time. I mean, my assistant's been with me 15 years and, um, you know, placing them where they can win, no matter where that is, recognizing what that horse can and can't do and trying to position that horse to get him in the winner's circle. Well, Doug, I don't know how Mike Foster names his horses, but you and Mike had your hands on another really good horse not that long ago. And his name was Next Shares. <laughs> Uh, you only had the horse for a couple of starts. You ran him as a maiden in the with anticipation at Saratoga in a second lifetime start and finished a really strong second. And then the horse was sold by Mike and they switched trainers to Richard Baltus and the horse went on to make a million eight. How disappointing was that? And how much does this help make up for that? 
Well, Randy, one thing I'm going to tell you is I never drive in the rearview mirror any decision I make in this game, um, and that fits right in there with that. You know, I purchased that horse as a yearling, picked him out as a yearling for Mike, um, got him going. Um, he was a, he was a grass horse and strictly a grass horse. And in this area, there, there's not a lot of grass. So I made his first start at Ellis Park, ran a very game second, and they came to us and uh, wanted to purchase the horse. And, you know, they, they end up making offers that you can't refuse sometimes. And um, that ended up being one of them. And I got to train him for one more race uh, for the connections. And I took him to Saratoga and just barely lost a grade two up there and had to turn him over. Now that was disappointing, losing and having to turn him over. Wow. And, and he really turned out to be a really, really cool horse. So Doug, when can we expect you out West? When are you bringing next out? And do you need a rider in the morning? I mean, it looks like it could be a hand to gallop. And always oh, easy to gallop. So is that, is that an offer I can have that you're going to get on the horse for me every day? <laughs> Sure, for free. For free. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know when we're going to come or how we're going to do it just yet. Um, you know, obviously he'll fly out there. Um, I'll probably contact Buddy Fife here in the next two weeks and, and make a plan to get him out there. Um, want to make sure he exits this race in good order first. He hasn't been back to the track yet. Um, so as soon as all that takes place and maybe even get through one breeze with him here and make a plan to, to, to bring him out there at that point. Does he have any quirks? Is he an easy horse? Does he, what are his favorite things? He is a little bit of a quirky horse. Uh, you know, he spends a lot of time going to the track in the morning. He has, uh, he likes things his way. And just like you notice in the race, he likes to get into a rhythm. He likes to do that in the morning too, even just walking. So you know, he takes a little stroll before he goes to the track and gets in a little rhythm in the shed row. And then we go to the track. He's got to stop about 842 times to look at things. So it's about a 45 minute trip to the track. Uh, and you never know where he's going to stop or how long he's going to stop. But, you know, he, I guess he's allowed to with the, what he's done. So he and, you know, when he starts galloping, he likes to get into a nice little rhythm just like he does in the race. But fun horse to be around, quiet in the stall, just a neat horse to be around. Well, we want to thank Doug Cowens for his time this morning on the TDN Writers Room Podcast as the Green Group Guest of the Week. Next, the winner of the Green Room Cup by 25 lengths. I'm just curious, and and this I'm just talking a lot. I wonder if that's the biggest margin of victory in a graded stakes race since Secretariat's Belmont. There's really no way we can find that out. But um, keep that out. Keep that in mind. It's a possibility. Doug, thanks so much for your time and best of luck with next. We'll see him for the Thoroughbred After Care Alliance Breeders' Cup Week at San Diego. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been, been fun. As the Green Group Guest of the Week, William Doug Cowens, the trainer of Next, will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from the Green Group to find out more about how the Green Group can not only help Doug, but can help you with anything equine-related in the world of taxes. Go to www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonderwheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. 
Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Liam's Map, a two-time grade one winner with six consecutive triple-digit buyers, including a 114 to win the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. He's already taking the lead as a sire with grade one winners Basin, Wicked Whisper, Colonel Liam, and Juju's Map, plus multiple six-figure yearling sales and two-year-old sales up to $1.2 million. Proven on the track, proven in the sales ring. Liam's Map, only at Lane's End. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Lane's End. The Lane's End Stallion of the Week is Liam's Map. What a year it has been for Liam's Map, who has had nine individual maiden special weight winners this summer alone, led by undefeated stakes winner Who Day and Deterministic, who was a TDN fantastic rising star on debut at Saratoga for trainer Christophe Clement. Clement also trains turf sprinting filly Roses for Deborah, who Randy just spoke about, who has four wins on the year thus far, including the grade three caress. We're going to toss out her effort in her last. At Keelan September, Liam's map yearlings, there were 26 of them, sold for an average of over 150, led by a $600,000 colt. Liam map stands for just 40000 this year at Lane's End. Well, a huge weekend of racing coming up. It's that time, all these last-minute Breeders' Cup prep races. There are 17 graded stakes races slated to be run over the weekend. Five win and you're in. Uh, at Aqueduct, the highlights will be the Joe Hurst, the Vosburg, and the Woodward. Sad to see that as a grade two race, but certainly understandable. Um, breaks my heart as somebody who uh, grew up um, worshiping the big stars that used to run in races like that. Uh, Churchill Downs, the Lucas Classic, the ACAC, Santa Anita, just a, a, a couple races to mention. The awesome again, the Santa Anita Sprint Championship, the City of Hope Mile, the John Henry Championship, Zenyatta's, uh, the Zenyatta Stakes. Zoe, you're going to be busy out there. Um, first of all, let's zero in on Cody's wish in the Vosburgh. He's coming back off that disappointing performance in the Mile and Eighth Whitney, where you know he answered the question that Bill Mott asked him to answer whether or not he was a mile and eighth uh, horse. And he's not. So he's going back to seven furlongs uh, in the Vosburg. It is still seven furlongs, isn't it? It's not six furlongs. Yes. Okay. Seven furlongs. Um, you know, he's going to run against a small field. He should murder the competition based on uh, what's going on there. But it'll be good to see him back in the entries. And, um, you know, then, of course, uh, Mott's next move, I assume, will be going the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, where, you know, even though he won it last year, uh, much like Gunite, I'm still not sure two turns are really his thing, but he was good enough and classy enough to win it last year. So um, we'll uh, learn a lot this weekend at Aqueduct with the Joe Hirsch. Uh, Rebels Romance, last year's Breeders' Cup turf winner, who's had a, just a disastrous year, was seventh in, the, in Dubai and then came back and ran in the Bowling Green at Saratoga and fell during the race uh, will be the uh, big name for Charlie Appleby and Godolphin. We'll see if he can get back on track. But uh, Randy, anything in particular you're looking forward to this weekend? I think Warlike Goddess is going to come back against the boys again uh, to go against Rebels Romance. Uh, a lot of the other usual suspects are expected to go in the Joe Hirsch. In uh, the Woodward, Zandon is an expected starter trying to tune up for the Breeders' Cup Classic. 
He's been a horse, obviously, trained by Chad Brown that hasn't been winning, but he's been running well. He was second in the Met Mile. He was second in the Whitney behind Wyatt Barrio. Of course, he was beaten a length and a half in the Kentucky Derby as a three-year-old law professor. Algiers from England is supposed to come over as well uh, for the Woodward as uh, sort of an experiment to see if he can handle the American dirt, maybe maybe go on to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um so, yeah, all kinds of races on both coasts. But uh, Santa Anita is really looking good this weekend, though. Yeah, Bill mentioned 17 graded stakes this weekend. Five of them are automatic qualifiers to the Breeders' Cup. And there are nine graded stakes at Santa Anita. We start on Friday with the grade three Chillingsworth. It looks like Ida will be the overwhelming favorite in there. She's, I don't know how many she's won in a row at six or seven, but she's a perfect four for four at Santa Anita for Hall of Famer Bob Baffert. The grade one awesome again does headline the big races at Santa Anita. That, of course, is a, a win and you're in. Practical Moves going to go in there. I checked with, oh. uh, yeah, I did check with Tim Yakteen because I know there was an allowance race next Friday. And who knows if that's going to go. Um, he did say the plan is to go. So that's very good. He comes in with a good series of works and looks like he's going to face the usual suspects. Skinner will be in there. Slow down, Andy. Bye bye, Bobby. Uh, interesting enough, a lot of horses are shipping in here to Santa Anita. We already have your favorite, Randy. White Abario is here, expected to work on Thursday. He's going to train up to the race. Sorry, Bill, but he's training up to the race. Asmussen is shipping in four in here tomorrow, which is... No, he's coming in today, Tuesday. Clarier, Society, Echo Zulu, um, and a, a couple of other ones are coming in. And so people... I think I've learned over the years that it's good to come in. Asmussen's the leader of this, to come in early and get not one, but two or three works over the racetrack. You don't have to run here, but I think he's made the mark that it's good to have some training over the track here at Santa Anita. We'll have the Santa Anita Sprint Championship. Had a good conversation to Bob Baffert yesterday morning, and I'm like, what's Arabian Lion doing? What, what, what are we doing? Are you going to run? He's like, well, I was a little down on him, but he worked him yesterday in 46 and change. I'm like, how can you be down on him now? He's like, oh, that track was so good this morning. So he's on the fence about that, but he did say that he has Speedboat Beach, who we've not seen since last December, waiting in the wings. Now, bear in mind, we're shooting this on Tuesday. The entries are not out, but he kind of hinted towards him, perhaps running in there. We'll have CZ Rocket, Dr. Scheivel. American theorem, but I think Bob Baffert, if those two go forward, he could really hold the keys to that race, City of Hope. The Zenyatta Stakes, which is one of the Dirt Dozen 12, that's on Sunday, Adair Manor. Looks like she'll be the tour de force in there. Are you, are you still on her, Randy? Yeah, I think she's, fan? yes. I mean, she just add her to the list, the murderer's row list that I was talking about. I mentioned her along with Clarier and Nest and Secret Oath and Idiomatic. Yeah. Who do you like in the awesome again? I, you know, I'd be interested in practical move. I mean, is defunded going to go? I, 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 I think so. Okay. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if, if practical move can bounce back off of the bench and can win the awesome again. He's another Breeders Cup Classic horse based in California. It's yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's going to be a good weekend. Guys, let's go back to the Joe Hirsch and, and Rebels Romance. As I said, it's been a lost year for him. Um, 
But do we look at this and say, it's Charlie Appleby, of course, he's going to run a big race. Um, or do we say, you know, look, you know, maybe this is one of the rare Appleby horses you can take a stand against. Anyone got an opinion on that? Anytime um, you fall in race, I have an opinion. It's, I, I want to see a couple coming back. It's, it's a tough thing to fall down in a horse race and get up and be the same mentally, horse or human. So, I mean, that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Did he go down or did he just lose his rider? I don't know exactly. I know he clipped heels. Um, I never got to see it. Okay. But anyway, um, I, you know, what I think you have to look at, Bill, you have to have some questions, obviously, because things haven't gone swimmingly for Rebels Romance so far this year. But who's he running against? And right now, there's nothing in there, I think, that would really frighten you that much. I mean, right now, the Naira Racing Office, which is like the best in the business, by the way, Andrew Burns, et cetera, uh, Adamo from the, um, at Hamo, whatever you say it, from the Chad Brown Barn, the Speed Horse Astronaut, Grand Sonata, Pioneering Spirit, uh, Soldier Rising, Christophe Clement can run pretty well, Stone Age is now trained in America, I think Chad Brown. Therapist, Warlike Goddess. I mean, Warlike Goddess hasn't quite been the same in her last few starts. So there's really nothing in there that you would say, oh, I don't know if Rebels Romance uh, can beat this guy or girl. Uh, so I think he's the worst to beat. Zoe, you had that nice European accent. So I'm dubbing you our European expert, as Randy and I are born in the USA. God, Bruce Springsteen turned 74 years old the other day. Boy, does that make me feel? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I saw him in high school uh, back in Princeton, New Jersey, and uh, never mind what year that was. Anyways, um, Zoe, what's coming, uh, What's going on with the Arc de Triomphe this weekend? It's the Arc, and it's the premier race in Europe for three-year-olds and up, basically. And it looks like it's going to be a field of 14. I know that um, the forfeit stage came out today, Tuesday. There were 14 left in. Emily Upjohn is out She'll either point to Champions Day again, much like last year, or there's a chance she could come over to the Breeders' Cup, which would be really, really good to see her. The King George 1-2 will be in there. Huckham and Westover, a very good friend of mine, our friend at the TDN, Dan Ross, says bet Westover like he can't lose. He said, if you can get 8-1 to one on Westover, just get it and, and get me a piece of it as well. He absolutely loves Westover for Rafe Beckett. Uh, Westover came in with a very, very nice gallop, I think yesterday, and all thumbs up for him. Huckham is looking good, and he bids become the first six-year-old to win the Arc de Triomphe. A lot of people have said, Randy, that, that three-year-olds haven't had such a good record, but I went back and, and looked, and they're, they're kind of about the same. I mean, we're going to have the Aiden O'Brien horse that won um, the ledger, continuous. Look, That looks like where Frankie's going to land, I do believe. And he's looking to become the first horse to win the St. Ledger and the Arc in the same year. And continuous ran in the French Derby and was beaten, I think, 15 lengths by the horse who's the favorite right now in the market yes. for the Arc off. Horse called Ace Impact, who is a three-year-old. Yeah, undefeated, yeah. five for five. Uh, Jean-Claude Rouget is the trainer who won the arc three years ago. And Bill will love this. Rouget purposely has not run this horse since August the 15th because he said, quote, fresh horses win the arc. So he's coming in the arc off uh, a very unusual training pattern. And they're talking about it over there 
he could really uh, change some of the uh, some of the like the uh, historic records that you have to do this to win the arc. You can't do that to win the arc, for example. Uh, no horse has won the arc in 33 years that didn't previously have a mile and a half race under his or her belt. Ace Impact, the three-year-old, has never run a mile and a half. So there's reasons to bet on Westover instead of Ace Impact if you're looking for them. <laughs> uh, but Ace Impact right now, I think, is the early uh, early market favorite over there. And I don't think I've ever heard Jean-Claude Rouget sound so excited about a horse. He is super, super excited about him. So maybe this is the year. What are we going to call it? it? Can't be the curse of Apollo. What could it be? <laughs> the impact of Rouget? I'm not sure. Yeah, but what's his dosage index? How about that? <laughs> Randy, I'll leave that to Randy. Okay. No, I'll leave that to Bill. <laughs> we mentioned Practical Move earlier. We'll go forward in this weekend's Awesome Again. Well, the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV, and the workout of the week is Practical Move. Here you go, guys. Practical Move. Work five furlongs at Santa Anita Sunday morning in 59 and four. The Tim Yak team trainee won the San Felipe and the Santa Anita Derby in his only two starts this year but has not had a race since being scratched from the Kentucky Derby with a fever the Thursday before the race. This is Practical Move on the outside, finishing up very nicely indeed and galloping out strongly, and he will go towards the awesome again this coming weekend. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. Two, the TD Riders are brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds, who had a big maiden winner this past week at Churchill Downs. Stretch Ride won a maiden special weight race. Anytime you can do that at Saratoga or at Churchill Downs in the summer or fall with a two-year-old, you've got a horse to keep an eye on. That stretch ride from West Point Thoroughbreds. West Point also wrapped up its shopping at the, uh, the Keeneland September sale. They have a large group available at every price point. They purchase yearlings from anywhere from $100,000 all the way up to the $3 million sale topper. You can go to westpointtb.com, click on the Available Horses tab to see which of their 2023 purchases are still available. And don't forget, joining a West Point partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie, Bill. Yes, it can. No doubt about that. Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my partners each week, Randy Moss and Zoe Cadman. Our Green Group guests of the week, Doug Cowens. Our co-producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca. And our editors, Aaliyah LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. And, and Lucy, who got good screen time this week, Randy. Uh, there she is. There She's she back is. In her spot. Our mascot, Lucy. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning us in. Mm-hmm.